Hey everybody, today I am super excited to have the great Toby Mathis on the show. Toby is a tax attorney. He's one of the founding partners of Anderson Advisors, which is a nationwide tax and asset protection firm. And he's the author of the best-selling book, Infinity Investing, How the Rich Get Richer and How You Can Do the Same. Toby is also the uh, host of the Tax Tuesday podcast, which I've been listening to for a couple of years and I highly recommend. Uh, and overall, he's just a really smart, really cool dude. Um, we cover a lot of ground in this episode. So pour yourself a drink, get comfortable and enjoy. Toby, thanks so much for joining me. It's uh, it, this, I'm excited about this because you are my first celebrity interview. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know about celebrity, but I'm. I'm, I'm glad that we have a following, and hopefully, uh, some of those folks take notice of your yeah, excellent work. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, so so first off, just tell me about ta uh, Anderson Advisors and what you guys do, and kind of the services that you provide to small business owners like me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll I'll tell you how I got started, just so you understand why Anderson came about. Okay. Uh, I never worked for another firm. I, I clerked for a couple judges. Uh, I worked with a mentor in Seattle. So you, I, know, I know you're from, or at least lived there for a period yep, of time. Yep. Um, and I did liquidation through high school and college. And the, the, the gentleman who I kind of mentored under, his son ended up going to law school. I went to law school and he went to law school because we got tired of the lawyers always messing everything up. They're, they're like deal killers all over the place. They always tell you what you can't do, not what you can do. Right. So, so I hung my shingle out day one and started working with the businesses that this mentor and I, that like that we worked with for years. We were all in South Seattle. It's the Georgetown area. It was a lot of fun. It, you know, it's, it's horrific when you get out of some, you know, you start your, your practice and you have zero clients and you have zero money. It's, it's, it's great. You know, for about two years and you eat ramen. Uh -huh. Um, but it was really, it was really enlightening. And I went and I met with an accountant because he said, you need to have a good accountant if you're going to be successful in business. So I met with a guy, saved up 300 bucks, which was, was brutal because I didn't have $300 to, to spend. Wow. You know what I mean? Like I really, I didn't have credit cards. This was back in the day when you actually had to qualify for credit. So I was living, you know, hand to mouth. And uh, I always joke, I'd go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers. It was I didn't have a lot of I didn't have a lot of money, and so I spent three hundred bucks to go have a guy basically ridicule me and tell me how dumb I was. Ouch! For starting a business, and he used big words. And I'm a law school graduate. I'm now a licensed attorney. I've been doing business, uh, you know, in the trenches uh, for years. And this guy is talking down to me, and I just I just walked away from that experience, going never again. I'm going to learn this stuff, and no business owner should be at the mercy of these jerks. Uh, I'm sure we've all met them. They play hide the ball, and they use really big words, mm -hmm. and they don't tell you what to do. They just tell you everything you're doing wrong, and then they want a huge price to fix it. And I was like, I'm just a small fry. If I'm dealing with this, everybody's dealing with this. So that's where Anderson came from. Is I, I did a complete 180. I'd always been working with business. And I believe small business is the way to go. Right. My dad was a lifetime Boeing employee. And he says, whatever you do, don't work here. Go do what all my buddies that have franchises do. Go make your own thing. So I was very, very um, zeroed in on not working for other people. So right. uh, I met Clint Coons and a gentleman by the name of uh, Bob Anderson at the time. And we put this thing together with the idea that we would be an advocate for businesses. 
So we do entity structuring, we've expanded into tax, we've expanded into funding, uh, we do it legacy planning. And over the last, I think it's 25 years now that I've been doing this, um, we built a firm. I think we have over 450 people. Wow. That's really dedicated on helping the small guy have an advocate because there's a lot of firms out there that still do the churn and burn, billable hour, just eat you alive. And so we said, hey, we're going to come up with fixed pricing. We have, you know, you probably know some of our services, mm -hmm. but in some cases are very low cost uh, where you always have somebody you can run things by. You have a hotline that you could get an answer to things quickly. And you just have somebody there that's an advocate that's not going to bill you every time you talk to them. And that's where Anderson really came out of. It was that whole experience just led me to believe that we need to have advocates. Actually, my mentor, he's passed. But he always said, Toby, always we all need advocates. Be somebody's advocate. So I would, you know, I was a guardian, uh, court-appointed guardian in some cases. And you realize you, you people will be run over if they don't have advocates. So we do this on the business side. We believe that businesses need advocates. So we're there for them. Interesting. Okay, so so you've got a um, kind of like a, is it an all you can eat? How would you describe the way that you guys bill for somebody like me? Oh, yeah, for somebody like you, we have something called a platinum program that's $35 a month. You can just call it and ask questions of the attorneys, uh, advisors, it really depends on what you need. You can ask tax questions. We make the tax questions come in writing because we'll answer the same question six times because somebody will forget. Oh. Sometimes you get a complicated answer. So we put it in writing. Okay. But that's it. it. There's no other cost. You don't get billed. If you want contract reviewed, we review the contract. If you somebody throws something in front of you and says, you know, hey, hey Matt, sign this. I want you to do this. We, we'll go point out the red flags. We're not going to redraft it you know we'll give you form documents things like that we have this huge database of stuff we've created over the last couple of decades but the whole idea is that you don't have to pay 500 bucks every time you get on the phone with an attorney and you're dealing with people that have actually been there done that i'm an avid investor clint's an avid investor he's been doing this in gig harbor since he was a baby his whole family does real estate uh, we, we're both small business owners and we've done there. We've, we we kind of had this philosophy that you want to talk to people that do what you do. So we've been there, done it. We know that there's what people will tell you to do and then there's what you should do. Right. And they're two very different things sometimes. And that's what our people are all about is giving you clear answers on things that you can actually implement that are advantageous to you and aren't going to get you in a lawsuit, aren't going to get you audited, aren't going to get you those things that the folks that might be giving you advice get make most of their money on. We want to give you the the information so you can make really good decisions at a low cost. How long have you been doing this model? Because I mean, this this model is kind of, I mean, you, this would have been unheard of 10 years ago. Yeah, well, I actually, mean, we've been doing it. I think we did it in earnest. We really launched it in about 2000, I want to say 2008. Oh, wow, really? During the recession, because okay. you saw people really needing value as opposed to there was just so much bad information. It may have been earlier than that, but where it really started to come into its own on the fixed rate, because we always had fixed rates since 1999, we had fixed rate services. Okay. But where we really came in and said, hey, you know what? Unfettered access to the lawyers. Let's just pull the stops out. We're not, I don't want to bill. I don't want to track my time. Right. I just want to answer questions and give people guidance. 
Yeah, nothing's worse uh, than filling out time cards. Um, I, I started life at an ad agency where, where I mean, we, oh. it's 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 demeaning. I mean, <laughs> how many hours a year did you have to bill? Says because I could just was was it like 1800 2200 hours some ridiculous it, number it was a super small shop so basically the guy was just pounding on us to just make fill out your time cards fill out your time cards we we didn't have that kind of an annual minimum but it was still just a pain most in the law ass. firms do most law firms are going to say 1800 is the low probably 2000 hours wow. which means that's billing 40 hours a week so how are you going to do that you're going to work 60 hours yeah. you're going to churn and burn yourself and or you know you're there taking advantage of the clients or you're taking advantage of yourself, but either way, somebody's getting taken advantage of. It doesn't work really well. Right. Interesting. Okay. So um, one of the things that you guys specialize in is asset protection. Um, mm -hmm. So tell me about, if you can, and this is kind of coming out of left field, but um, people make mistakes. People don't know this stuff, and then they get bitten in the ass because they didn't protect themselves. Do you have any stories or horror stories of clients, you know, who before, before they came to work, work with you screwed up yeah. and, and got really uh, in trouble? Yeah. Let me tell you about a story. Okay. Uh, it was when I was speaking. And again, I started with just general business. I was on a, a board of directors of a local business association in Seattle when Safeco field and all these things were built okay. tore down the kingdom. So I, I, I liked business. I like small business. And that's where I cut my teeth. And I was teaching a course to help some uh, folks that were investing in real estate. And one of the things was there was something called an LLC that was fairly new at the time. It had been around for about 20 years, but not all states had adopted it yet. Okay. So it was in the 90s. And there was a, a an older lady there. And I kind of said, I, you know, maybe I'm young and a jerk, but I said, you know, hey, what are you doing here? What brings you here? I was curious because she was full gray hair, probably close to 80s. And she said, I'll tell you after. So I was like, oh, now I'm curious. Uh -huh. So I, I talked to her and she goes, I want to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I said, what happened again? And she gave me a story. She had about 15 pieces of property from Florida on up to Massachusetts. And she had a commercial uh, property in Florida that caused all the problems. But she had lawyers and accountants and she was... She had millions of dollars of real estate. She didn't have like little single families. These were commercial properties. Okay. And she had uh, insurance and she had a property manager and these, the lawyers and accountants told her at the time, by the way, you could own a commercial building in your individual name. Nowadays, if you have debt on it, they're going to make you put it in an LLC. But at the time it was it, it, because of the internet, probably, um, or lack of the internet. People just didn't know about these tools. Okay. And now they're universally accepted. But at the time, it wasn't. And she relayed a story of having two young men. The property manager hired a company to do window washing. And it was two young men that came out. And uh, one of them electrocuted themselves, you know, touching a wire up on the ladder. And it's not like a movie where, you know, you fly off and your hair stands up and smokes. It's you just sit there and you do a slow shake and the guy at the bottom wasn't getting a response from his buddy. So he starts to climb the ladder and he gets electrocuted, never leaves the ground. You know, as soon as he touched the ladder, it was an aluminum ladder. Oh, so you had two, you had two young people, uh, deaths, horrible situation, but it turned out that their license and their bonds had expired. They were kind of just freelancing now and the, and the property manager screwed up. So the insurance company said, 
we're going to defend under reservation of rights we may not cover because the requirement of your policy is to hire licensed and bonded. So she did everything right. Long story short is she lost that piece of property at the foreclosure sale. Her lawyers told her that it should be enough to cover a reasonable uh, settlement amount or the, the, the amount of the judgment that they had consented to. Right. But it wasn't, it was, it was several million dollars. Insurance was kicking in a portion, but she was personally responsible for the vast majority. None of the properties were isolated. She ended up losing every single piece of property. She lost 15 pieces of property because every time they would foreclose at the foreclosure sale, you'd have the lenders show up and a few investors and they would bid up to the amount of the, uh, the loan. And there was also sheriff's fees and the cost of the sale and the attorney's fees. And when it was all said and done, very little of her judgment was getting paid. Uh, she ended up losing her personal property as well because she, they had a very low homestead exclusion. So she lost every single piece of property. Wow. And she said, I know enough about real estate. I know that that's where I'm going to go. I know enough people, but I'm never going to allow myself to go through that again. And we have hundreds of those stories where people get taken out. But that was the one that was the first time where it had actually hit me. The impact of somebody just not knowing. Because it, it, let, let's be straight. If she had had an LLC around the Florida property, she, that would have been it. She would have lost that property. She'd still have the other 14 properties. She wouldn't have lost her home or anything else. Because of the way that, that in the people she was listening to, who probably never owned property. Right. All these folks are reading out of a book saying insurance is enough. And that used to be the mantra. I can tell you when I first got into this industry, you'd be shocked at the type of heat we would take because we're telling people to actually structure and they would usually the accountants are saying you can't do that. Okay. Because, you know, because up until 1997, you had to meet certain criteria to be an entity. And then in, they did the check the box rakes in 1997. And so anybody that had been educated before that still had this misconception that you couldn't do certain things. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was just a really antagonistic environment. Like the, the accountants were some of the worst and they would have people, insurance is enough. And then slowly people realized the lawyers were literally eating these folks alive. And then mold came around and then oh. everybody's eyes was open to it. The internet makes it obvious. Right. You know, you see all these businesses getting bankrupted out because the lawyers get in there and you realize that asset protection becomes a thing. Like, hey, you really have, it's not just for the uber wealthy, it's for every investor if you buy one piece of property, you could be, you could be, you could lose your entire, you know, you could be, you could be garnished until you're dead and then they could take a part of your state. Like there's, there's literally no getting away from it. In some circumstances, you might say, well, I'll go bankrupt and I'll give up all my other assets. And that's not a good situation. Right. Uh, you need to just be able to force a settlement. You need to be able to let your insurance cover the expense and you need to move on with your life. You don't need to get tied into these things. They're they're draining. Interesting. So anyway, a long answer to a right simple question, right? But yeah, I mean, that, I mean, really, that's that's kind of where I exactly what I wanted to hear because I, I think we kind of fail to understand how vulnerable we are, and just buying an umbrella policy addendum to your whatever insurance isn't necessarily going to protect you. There's too many exclusions. So the insurance companies are really good at crunching data and they know what, what they're going to pay out on and they know how to, how to look at risk. Right. They don't stay in, base, you know, in business 
paying lawyers off whatever the lawyers ask. They need to have something where they say, well, actually, this is you. So, Matt, you know, we'll defend you, but it'll be under reservation of rights. And, and depending on what they sue you for, we'll cover this and this and we'll, we'll provide your defense. But if, but if you're found responsible under this theory, you're personally responsible. Like, we won't cover. If the, if the attorney knows what they're doing, they're, they're going to go after your personal assets. They're going to allege things that are not covered by the insurance policy. And the first thing they do is they ask for the insurance policy. Most states require that it be turned over. So, and then they're going to plead things that are outside the policy just to make your life a living hell. Interesting. And good lawyers know that there's a, there's a, there's a value in it. So what we found is that there's something called obscurity through obscurity. If people can't see your stuff, they tend not to bug you. And so we have tens of thousands of clients across the country. We see very few lawsuits significantly, like a fraction of what the net, like you, you should probably go through about five to five lawsuits in your lifetime. That's about average. If you're, a business owner and investor, you're just going to get these things. Probate counts, divorces count, you know, right, those types right. of things. But you're going to you're going to get some experience with the legal system, and we just see that our clients don't have to deal with it for the most part because they don't look like they have a ton of money on paper. Love it. So this is this is some of the knowledge that that people like me can get if we listen to Tax Tuesday, your uh, your podcast. Um, so just for, for those who don't know, Toby uh, is the host of Tax Tuesday, and I am a big fan of his podcast. Will you just uh, tell me about uh, Tax Tuesday and why non-investing like nerds like me, but why just normal civilian people who are small business people should listen to Tax Tuesday? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for nice words. Yeah, Tax Tuesday is something we've been doing for years now, where it's myself and uh, Jeff Webb, CPA. I think he's 36 years CPA. Mm-hmm. And we just get on and answer all the questions that you could ask on tax issues. Uh, we have people email in questions, and we grab usually 10 to 15. Yeah, It used to be way worse. I would just grab as many as I could. Now it's we get about 500 questions a week. And we grab the ones that are kind of the repeating questions okay. and throw them up there or ones that seem particularly annoying where it's like, okay, this is really complicated. It may not be what you think. And we answer them and people can chat and ask questions. I usually have about 10 accountants on and they're answering any question. We don't charge for it. You'll go, why, why the heck are you doing that? And I'm like, because it's, it's the decent thing to do. Like the, the more information that's in your hands, the better are you, the better you are. And I'm a, I am ai don't need to work, so I, I enjoy doing it. Uh, it's kind of like your why. My why is like, hey, I, I, I was really blessed by having good mentors. None of them charged me. My mentors would have me work for them for free sometimes, right? But they, right. they would give the information freely and they would, you know, most, most people are really good people. And it's just sharing the information with folks, knowing that it'll come back to you in some other way. It's just planting seeds along the way. And sometimes they bear fruit, sometimes they don't. But at the end of the day, it usually benefits you to do that type of thing. So I love doing it. That's awesome. Well, it's I, I enjoy the podcast and I, I highly recommend it. Um, you, you mentioned one thing that you don't need to work. Um, I wasn't going to ask you about this till later, but... I am super hyper-focused on retirement Mm -hmm. and I'm super hyper-focused on the day that I turn 59 and a half because then I can go off on a boat and do whatever. Mm -hmm. But the closer I get to that 59 and a half, the the more I realize I might not be able to retire just simply because I I don't think I can be idle. Mm -hmm. So you 
are a successful investor, you've got a successful company, you don't need to work, but yet you're still working. What, what keeps you going? And then, and when are you going to quit? Well, I could answer the last one. Okay. First, never, never. Okay. You're going to, you're going to go. My favorite people that I've ever run across are the folks that live that, that they're doing what they like to do up until they die. Right. My mentor, I was up there bedside before he's passing away and he's giving me instructions. Like he's still thinking of his business, his wife, his brothers and everything, but he's calling me over because I told me this is what you got to do here, here, here. And I'm like, don't worry, Jerry, I, I got it. Wow. You know, so it, it, it's one of those things where if you enjoy what you're doing, it's not work. So they always say there's work life balance. Please enjoy what you're doing and there's no work. So I love what I'm doing. I feel like it's, you know, you, everybody has their calling. Maybe it's something that you really enjoy. Maybe it's something that, you know, you're working so that you could do other things. I happen to do what I want to be doing and I'm driven towards spreading that word. So, yeah, could, could I go off and do other things? I do. I travel a lot. My wife and I go places. I'll go place for a month. I just bring a camera and a computer and a setup and I'll still run things remotely. Right. And I have really good employees. I and mean, I told you well over 450, I think at this point, employees, great organization. So I have a great CEO. So I have the liberty and the freedom to go do those things too. And we have a ton of real estate and we have a ton of investments and that's fun. Right. That's the whole thing is don't do stuff. That's not fun. Like if you're not enjoying it, even if it's hard work, it's like, it's like working out. You could absolutely slaughter yourself in the gym and you're enjoying it. And everybody's like, you're working really hard. Yeah, but you're enjoying it. Right. The same thing with your work. You should get some sort of satisfaction out of it. If you're not, you know, work your way out of your job. Right. Buy things that are producing income so that you don't need to work. So then you can be a volunteer at whatever you choose to do. I love that. Okay. On another totally unrelated note, the other day you mentioned Batista's hole in the wall. Um, I have been going there since uh, like 1998. Um and uh, so you live in Las Vegas, correct? Yep. Okay. Um, and just for the listeners, I, the Batista's Hole in the Wall is this place where you go in and there's pictures of like Michael Landon and Wayne Newton and and uh, old school and old yeah. school. And, and they're like, it's like the old headshots and whatnot, but they're like on, on a board and then like mm -hmm. uh, shellacked over the top. And they're all over the restaurant and it's old school and it's yeah. dark. And you, you basically, the menus are on the wall and they bring you this jug of hangover wine yep. that is, you know, it's perfectly palatable when you're there. It's water wine. That's what I always call it. It's like, you can drink it like water. Exactly. And you would never, you would never buy it for yourself or yeah. to have it home. But you know, when it comes in a gallon jug and it's sitting there on your table, it's, it's, it's delicious. And, uh, um, so anyway, uh, I, I I love Batista's and um, I, I, are they back open now? Yeah, Batista's open. Like if you want to go old school, it's Golden Steer. It's Piero's. They've been there for 40 years and they have the Piazzadora Lounge. Piazzadora performs there, if you know who that wow. is. Wow. I didn't know she was still alive. Yeah, she's there. Every time you go in, and it, it's funny. There's a few places around town. The Siena Grill is another one where this the Cintas used to perform at the Rio. They're out there all the time. They did... It's funny. You just see all these great entertainers and they get away from the strip and they usually go to these old places. There's uh gosh, what's the name of the cellar in the four Queens? Oh, I can't remember the name. Uh, but there's places that have been here for 40 years, 50 years. 
that uh, maybe not the greatest places. Right. Like Batista's is pretty hardcore. You know, you're going in there, you said it's kind of dark. It's right. It hasn't changed a lot in 40 years, right? right? But um, yeah, that's it used to be next to the Barbary Coast, I think is what was used to be next to it. They, and then they made it, I think it's into the Cromwell now. But, yeah, I think, yeah, it was uh, the Barbary Coast. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the, the old school, like some of the old, just slightly off the strip Vegas. Uh-huh. Oh, it's fun. When you go to those places, uh, the other one is Peppermill. That was in uh, Casino. Well, so was Piero's actually was in the the film Casino. But there's, there's some old school Vegas places that are still, you, if you, you, you put them on your list. They're not ritzy, you know, it's not the greatest thing, but you get a lot of history when you walk in and you feel like you're walking back into in time a little bit. I, I love the Peppermill. Now, now the, the Peppermill in Reno, there's a full on casino, but oh. in Vegas, like on the North strip, the, the, the Peppermill is just like, yep. it's like a Denny's kind of. And yep. I love that place when I'm, when I'm working at the convention center, you can walk there if it's not yep. summer. And um, yeah. I love sitting there playing video poker in the bar at the Peppermill and watch the people, watch the, watch people, the people come and drink in. the free wine as I'm, as I'm, as I'm playing my video poker. And uh, yeah, I love that place. That's old school. Yeah. The, the guy that owns that, I knew a guy that owned, knew the guy anyway, but they have a, the, it's a great, cause it's a great hotel and casino up in Reno. Yeah. Like if you ever get a chance, like you want to go to the Peppermill, it's kind of off the, beaten path but it's gorgeous and the art there's a guy that takes pictures there so if you ever notice that they have all this moving art that it's videos of different places around the world that is theirs they have a guy that all he does and i forget his name but he just travels around the world and takes video places really and that's what's at the pepper mill and if you go to the casino they have these huge panels and you're like oh that's cute they have a camera you know in rome and it's at this, you know, it's pointed at this direction or it's on a fjord somewhere, you know, in, 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 in Scandinavia. And they're like, wow, this is really neat. But no, no, it's the guy. He's going out there and he's taking these videos and they're all high definition. <laughs> it's really weird when you see how I want his job. They're little. That's that's it. It's the most bizarre thing. So if you like, I suppose you could probably Google it. You go Peppermill and in art or whoever, you know, who does the photography, but it's so weird when you go into these places and you go, I've never seen that anywhere else. And you realize you never will. Cause they have an artist that they just kind of send around the world and say, Hey, take, take pictures and videos of these places. That's awesome. I, I good job to have, I guess. Yeah. It would be a great job. I, I mentioned the Peppermill, uh, the one in, in Reno, one of the best, most fun nights I've had in my entire life was in 1992 at the Peppermill when I was I was going to community college here in here in uh, Oregon, and a buddy of mine mm -hmm. and I just went down there for one night and um and the at the time and and this is this probably is going to sound sexist or whatnot but the the female wait staff were all super hot and and very friendly and we were like on fire and we were meeting women and talking and playing craps and and uh mm -hmm. yeah just just a fantastic that's the night. environment they want yeah. yeah not not the hot women the way i always do it because because i was raised episcopalian went to catholic school jesuit college and you know we say like is, is that bad you know father that i'm if you look at a pretty girl and he goes no right. it's just it's like stained glass sometimes Sometimes the sun shines through a little, you know, a little clearer. That's that's all it is. So like you're allowed to, you're allowed to uh, just just don't be a pig about it. Right? You're allowed to look at a pretty girl, but just right. be respectful. Yes, just keep the eyes up. Uh huh. Yes.
Okay, well, <laughs> enough uh, Nevada action, uh, but yeah, uh, I love it all. Um, how, how much more time do you have? I don't want to keep you as much as you need. Oh. I'll, I'll stay here till midnight if you like. Okay, well, then let's talk about tax loopholes. Okay, um, my audience mm -hmm. is small business people, gig workers, and the like. What are some of the loopholes that people like me miss uh, that yeah. that 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 just because they don't they don't know that they have uh, these these available to them? Yeah, so so here's some big ones. It's better to be an employee of your own organization than be your own organization. And what I mean by that is a lot of people will become a sole proprietor. Their accountant says, oh, just file it on Schedule C on your 1040. But you cannot be an employee of the organization. Right. And what that means is that you lose a lot of the, the benefits that come along with being an employee. You know, we're used to it. If you go work someplace, they might give you employee benefits. As a sole proprietor, you lose a lot of that. And one of the things that you lose is something called an accountable plan. So an accountable plan kind of goes like this. If you do anything that's for the benefit of an employer, they can reimburse you and you don't have to report it as taxable income. So for example, if you're, if, if you worked for me, Matt, and I said, Hey, Matt, you gotta, you gotta be able to be on camera. You gotta have, I need to be able to get a hold of you 24 seven. You need to be able to travel around. Everything that you have connected to your computer, including your computer and including your cell phone, becomes a business expense that I can reimburse you for. I'll provide you with a computer. I'll provide you with a camera. I'll provide you with a great microphone. I'll provide you with a cell phone. I'll provide you with data and, and the cell service. All that is now deductible to the company and not reportable as income to you. Okay. When you're a sole proprietor, you're, you're having to say what portion is personal and what portion is business. Another big one is the home office. When you're a sole proprietor, and I'll get into this in a second, you're, you're at a higher risk of audit than your brethren, which is if you're a, an S-corp, which okay. is the closest thing to it. When you do a home office, there's something called a safe harbor where they allow you just to say, oh, you know what, $5 a square foot for an area that's used for frequently and exclusively for the business, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a home office. And better not have a bed in there, you know, that you're using. It better just be for, for business. But let's say it's a 10 by 15 foot bedroom. You're going to get, what would that be? 10 by 15 times five, about $750 a year as a deduction. Whereas that same bedroom as an S-corp reimbursing you as an employee would more than likely be a, about five to 10 times as much. And the reason being is because you can do what's called a net usable square footage method or you can do room methodology. So let's say you have a house, say you have a mortgage, you have property taxes. Right. Let's say you have a cleaner that comes in and cleans your house. You have utilities like electric and water. You can you get to add all that up, including a depreciation allowance. You add all that up and then you say what portion of the house is being used for the business. And the IRS says the business can reimburse you. So as long as it's being used for the benefit of the business, like, in, it, by the way, it doesn't have to be your main office. It could be an administrative office right. where you do your administrative tasks. So for most of you guys, this is going to be relevant to you. So let's say that I have a three-bedroom, two-bath house. I can now count up those three bedrooms, and I look at other main living areas. Maybe I have a living room. Mm -hmm. Maybe I have a dining room. And I would say, okay, I have a total of five rooms. So I could take 20% of all the expenses, including the property taxes associated with that home, and I can reimburse myself for it. It ends up being, like my experience is I would guesstimate somewhere around $6,000 a year that comes back out to you tax-free. Okay. Now, what is that worth to you? It's whatever your state 
income taxes are on that, whatever your federal income taxes are, and more importantly, whatever your old age disability survivors insurance, your your, uh, your self-employment income. It's that little piece, by the way, is one of the largest revenue sources for the United States. It's not federal income taxes, it's social security taxes. Okay. And it's, it is literally, when you look at the net collected revenue of the United States, more is collected as employment taxes than anything else. Businesses account for about 7.5% of the tax base. Uh, individuals, uh, when you look at the, 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 the gross versus the net, like after they take all their deductions and everything, it's right around 45%. It's about 46% of the revenue is coming from the Social Security revenue. And you can go look that up in the IRS data book if you want to verify for yourself. What, it, what I'm saying is that the poor, because Social Security taxes are assessed on your wages or if you're self-employed, 100% of your net income, right? This is crazy. And uh, if you work at McDonald's, you're paying Social Security taxes. And they always say that the, the little guys aren't paying any tax. That's absolute hogwash. The little guys paying the vast majority because that tax, most of it, 12.4% of the of the 15.3 phases out at 140,000 right of way of, of active income they're absolutely gaslighting us guys they're they are totally hosing people that are working class right now so what would i say to the sole proprietors you got to get away from that you are getting assessed this extra tax if you make $100,000 net you are paying i, I already know the number it's for, for $14,100 is what you're paying on a hundred thousand dollars because you ha you get a small deduction for part of the uh, the OADSI, uh, the the some of the some of the tax you pay. Okay, you can avoid about sixty percent of that, sixty to seventy percent of it, depending on how aggressive you are, by simply converting to an S corp. If you did that, then you open the door for the accountable plan too. But just doing that will save you somewhere in the neighborhood of what what sixty percent of fourteen thousand. Around around eighty five hundred dollars yeah. a year, yeah, and it's and I'm probably being too conservative. It's probably a little higher. Some people are closer to ten grand. Okay, it depends on what you're doing, and you get a bunch of other deductions. Now here's the rub: if you made a hundred thousand dollars, there was a old table that was part of the IRS data book that they published every year, seventeen B, and it was discontinued for the the, the last tax year for twenty twenty. In 2019, though, we could look at it, 2018, 2017. The numbers don't change that much. If you're a sole proprietor, you're about 800% to 1,000% more likely to be audited than an escort. Wow. And you lose your audits. Get this. You lose your audits because they have a, a, how often there's a, uh, it doesn't, it results in no change. It's between 4 and 6%. So another way to put it is you lose the audit 94 to 95% of the time. So you pay more and you get audited significantly more and you lose those audits way more than your corporate brethren, right? Wow. So, uh, but for whatever reason, 70% of people are still set up as sole proprietors in the small business realm. So what I would say is don't operate as a sole proprietor. Right. If you're already an LLC that's disregarded as a sole proprietor, you can file one piece of paper and change it. The, the, the tax forms, if you put a Schedule C next to the tax return for an S-Corp, which is called an 1120S, arguably the, the Schedule C is more difficult, but they're roughly equivalent. Okay. So it's not, it's not that there's a whole bunch of added complexity. 
you do have to take a salary once a year from the S-Corp, and that's all. So you're going to have a little bit of expense of whatever it costs to do salary. You could do it for free online. There's like Payroll City and some of these, or you just ask your bookkeeper. You should have a bookkeeper, guys. Don't be cheap. They're worth their weight in gold, but get a get a bookkeeper and have them do your payroll once a year. It might cost you a hundred bucks. And just make sure you're paying yourself out the low end of a reasonable amount of pay. A rule of thumb is one third of the net profit. Okay, I've got so many questions here, and this is this is this is why I'm gonna join up for this platinum plan because I, I have a million questions. But I always understood and wrongly that you had to take like an uh, like a biweekly salary if you were going to form an, this this S corp model for your own deal, and that it had to be consistent. And and my my real business, I'm a video producer, and mm -hmm. I will have months that are gargantuan and I'll have months at a time that are where literally nothing comes in. Mm -hmm. And so I have always thought, well, then I can't do really an S corp because of the variable nature and I can't pay myself an ongoing salary because sometimes there's only 20 bucks in the bank. Yeah. So there's no federal law that requires periodic payments. There are state laws that require it for non uh, owner employees. So if you have employees, you're supposed to pay them either bi-weekly or every two weeks, uh, excuse me, or bi monthly. What is that called? Uh, tw twice a month. Twice a month. Okay. Yeah. English. <laughs> yeah. Or, or every two weeks you get to pick, but there's state laws that might require it so that you don't have somebody that you pay every quarter, you know, and they're suffering and you, you know, um, but that's not for the owners. Not for so the owners. whoever told you that was incorrect. Sorry to sorry to pop your bubble. No, this is this is yeah. great because a, you you yeah, as an owner, you get to choose. I mean, and here's the thing. S corporations were abused for a lot of years because people wouldn't take a salary, they just take distributions. Right. And the distributions are not subject to social security taxes. Right. And so people would get audited because they didn't take a salary. So the solution is take a salary once a year. You know that let's just say that you make a hundred thousand. I'll use okay. that number. You pay yourself thirty thousand. Maybe you pay yourself 40000 depending on what I could replace your, your job with. Like, you know, hopefully your job has a range. Sure. So if you're doing photography, for example, that could range from minimum wage on up, right? Yeah. But you could set up a 401k and you could dump 19500 for for folks that are under 50. You could put, put that straight into the 401k. In other words, I could skip taking the, the salary. I could just dump it right on in there. Tax deduction. Then I could, the company can match 25% of that and put that in there. So I put another close to five grand. Right. So what is it? 4,750, whatever it mm -hmm. is. And I put that in there. Okay. So even though I had to take a salary, I just put close to 20, 25 grand, grand into, your into a retirement plan. And now I'm deferring it until I'm 72 years old. Right. Or if you're a Roth person, you could actually put all of that and roll it into the Roth and, and pay the tax this year. But now you have $25,000 in a Roth 401k and you'll never pay tax on any of the gains ever again. Isn't that wild? It, it is wild. And it's wild that, um, that I have received wrong information. You got to talk to people that run small businesses. There's only one way to learn this stuff, and that's by doing it. They don't teach it in a school. 
Okay. It's 2022. I had a terrible 2020 and 2021. It was great. I didn't do anything. I walked six miles a day. I started a podcast. It was great. Um, now things have come back and I'm working full time, which I don't like, but it's, it's all good. Could I retroactively start an S corp for the beginning of 2022 or do I have to wait until next year? Well, so how does that uh, you could set up an S corp now. Okay. Can you retroactively go back and grab income and dump it into it? No, it's, 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 you have to keep it classified of what, what it was when you earned it. Okay. You can grab startup expenses though. So we can go back even two years and a startup expense is anything that led to the creation of the business. So people are doing something and they don't even realize that they're starting an active business. So for example, your podcast, you might've purchased equipment. You might have some things. The company can literally reimburse you and write it off. Okay. Up to $5,000, anything over 5,000. I think you're looking at a 15 year amortization there we go. Okay. where you're writing it off over 15 years, but up to five grand startup expense, you can write off up to $5,000 organizational expense. You can write off. So if you set up a company, you can write off the expense of setting it up. If it's an LLC, LLC taxed as an S corp, LLC taxed as a C corp or an S corp or a C corp. You know, those are kind of your flavors. Right. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm an LLC. How are you taxed? As an LLC, that's not, there's no such thing as LLC taxation. Right. There's a whole bunch it, of different it, check boxes that you yeah, got yeah. it. You get to pick. Right. So uh, you are watching Tax Tuesday. So you're getting I, I do. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Actually, I, I listen. I don't watch, but I listen. Yeah. And we, we, we make fun of the people because the accountants will say, well, you're taxed as an LLC. I'm like, accountant, stop it. Right. <laughs> How is it taxed? What's the tax form? Just tell me. Oh, it's 1120S. All right, it's an escort. Come on. Stop that. <laughs> okay. Well, that was that was um, very useful. And, uh, and again, w- once I become a Platinum member, I'll have someone kind of walk me through what my steps should be. Um, oh, we have so much. It, platinum is, is so much fun because they'll, they'll do the risk reduction formula with you. They'll do the blueprint. You get to talk to a financial planner. You get to do a two-year tax review. You get to see if you've screwed things up on your return, overpaid things. We get we get money back for people all the time. They just didn't realize that there were certain other uh, benefits that were there. And you can go back three years. Wow. Um, it's a lot of fun. You get you get a lot of bang for your buck. I know it's 35 bucks a month and everybody goes, oh, it's like prepaid legal. It's like, no, it's nothing like prepaid legal. We're on your side. We're an advocate. We want you to get rich. We're like a barber. We want your hair to grow. We're going to sell you some hair cream. Make your hair get really big and fluffy so we can trim it more often. Right, right. We're, we're, we're tax and asset protection people. And we, we love creating legacies. So we want to do your state plan. We want to do your you know, your tax prep. We want to do your books. We want to set up your businesses. And the only way that works is if you're making money. So we are really on your side to help you make money. Beautiful. I love it. Changing of uh, topic. Tell me what your feelings are, good, bad, or indifferent, about cryptocurrency. Ah, crypto uh you got you got to have a really strong neck because you're going to get whiplash when it goes down 30 percent up 30 yep. percent it's it, it's a capital asset in, in it's a baby meaning that it's in its inception phase even though you've seen this massive growth it's still in its beginning phases i think blockchain technology is just getting started mm-hmm. i think that bitcoin and ethereum are the primary coin so i don't i don't invest in really anything else i have a bunch of bitcoin and ethereum i should have gotten into bitcoin in 2012 so should i is when somebody was telling me to 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 buy it Uh and was already starting to mine so they're they're richer than me now um but 
it's still, I, I, I call it a 10% cash or cash equivalent section of your portfolio. So I divide portfolios. I do income producing stock, real estate or real estate equivalents and managed money. Each of those are 30%. I put 10% in cash or cash equivalents, which is US dollars, gold, silver, uh, whatever your precious metals you like and Bitcoin. Right. So it probably 3% of your portfolio, maybe 5% of your portfolio. So it's not crazy, but I still think you should be exposed to it. Gotcha. Right now, it, it's it's from a legal standpoint, any spending of it is a taxable event, or at least to my knowledge. If you, it's a capital asset, correct. Yeah. So what, what do you think down the horizon? Uh, do you feel like this new Biden um, executive action or whatever's going on is going to change this? It's going to or recharacterize it so that it is so that you can actually no. spend it like a normal currency? Yeah, I'll give you a straight answer. No. Okay. I think that what they're going to do is keep treating it as a capital asset. They don't know what to do. It's it's no different than cash. In that I like they want you to report your cash transactions, but it's up to you to report them. A lot of people take money under the table, right? Sure. And they're they're thinking people are going to do the same thing with crypto, so they're very worried about it and they want to somehow figure out how can we make sure that people when they buy a car with crypto it's treated as though you sold the crypto and you should pay capital gains on that. And then you bought a car with the U.S. dollars that it became. Yes. And they and they want to find a way to make sure that they, that transaction is reported and they're relying on taxpayers. So they don't really trust us. guys. Yeah. They don't really trust taxpayers to report it because a lot of people aren't. Right. right. And it's kind of like, yep, a lot of people don't report cash transactions either. Sorry. You know, the best thing you can do is make sure that there's some enforcement mechanism. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get Kraken or Coinbase or any of the others to start reporting all the transactions. You might you might get them to to give a sympathetic ear to some of it. But I think you're I think that what they're really saying is that we don't trust the citizens of our government. I think maybe they need to. Interesting. And they, uh, you know, but politicians do what politicians do. They write more laws and they try to legislate their way into something when realistically they're what they really need to do is educate people and give an incentive for people to use this and for people to report. You know, going back, I got to tell you, you, you said that 45% of tax proceeds are, are from basically employment, social security taxes, employment taxes. Yeah. If that's the, do, do you want the actual number? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just, it's wild. When you look at the data, when you look at the data, it's completely different than most people perceive. Well, yeah. Cause I follow, Again, not to get political, but I follow a gal named Elizabeth Warren and another dude named Robert Reich, who is like economic policy director or some shit for mm -hmm. um, uh, Clinton. And they keep hammering on about how corporations need to, quote unquote, pay their fair share. Mm -hmm. But if businesses right now are only kind of responsible for less than 8% of the, the tax receipts, it's stupid and disingenuous to say that that's the problem of course it is and 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 their their whole entire voting block is is lining up with their tongues out saying yeah yeah tax the evil corporations and then that's going to fix everything it's 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 a lot of mental mind control if we can demonize the companies then we can we can slip in some things against you we're going to let's just say this we are going to Double the tax revenues off of businesses, but we're only going to increase yours by 25%. Who just paid more? You know, if you, if, 
you just collected a ton more fat tax revenue from the individuals. Right. Because businesses, even if we doubled it, it's seven. It was about seven point four percent. So you just increased your tax revenues by seven point four percent if they didn't take evasive measures to not pay that tax. Sure, which they will. You know, yeah, which they absolutely will. But here, here's the thing: a lot of companies, like utilities, for example, okay, they're allowed to expense their tax revenue by adding it to your bill. They're required to do that. So when Joe Biden or anybody gets up there, I don't want to make it, you know, Republican versus Democrat, but whenever you have anybody that gets up there and says, I'm not going to raise your taxes by a penny, I'm only going to raise this person or this company's, that's disingenuous because we're all in one society. When you increase corporate taxes, for example, they wanted to go from 21 to 25 or 28 Mm percent, depending on who you listen to. If you increase that, those companies are required to pass that down to you in the form of increased utility costs. It's driving up inflation. It makes it more expensive. You're paying it. Companies really don't pay tax. You know, companies like Amazon and some of these others that have run off to the Isle of Man and are doing these sophisticated tax structures to try to minimize their tax, they end up with a ton of cash. Okay. You have to incentivize them and make it so it's not so painful that they do that and they keep it in the United States. And I know Trump was trying to do that by saying, hey, let's lower the amount. If you bring it back in, we're going to reduce the amount of of surcharge you're going to pay. Realistically, that's not a bad thing. The problem is, is so few people own companies. So few people invest in the stock market. It's like 20 percent of the population. It's not a big enough number. We need to we need to get everybody investing so that when there's good things happening in the economy that they all participate as opposed to the the uber rich and the big hedge fund managers what we know for certain is that most people don't do crazy things to avoid state taxes like sales tax they're not you know some people will go to oregon for example like maybe they'll maybe they'll go from what is it? Washington has yeah. a sales tax yeah, in Portland. So they, yeah. yeah, they'll go from Vancouver over to Portland and they're not supposed to, but it's a, you know, really they're, they're avoiding 8%, you know, big one. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't going to do a lot to avoid a smaller number. And I think that's true with companies. If they knew that they were going to pay 15%, I don't think most people would complain. Where you see the lawyers and the accountants get involved is when you're getting hit at 50%, which is right. a high income earner in, in California. So, you know, every dollar that they save when they get over that half million mark might be 50 cents in their pocket. So they, they do a lot of things to avoid payment of tax, which is completely legitimate. The question is, do we want that? Right. Could we could we fix our tax system to where it's more fair? And right now it's not fair, but it's generating so much flipping revenue that they're just going to gaslight so that you don't complain to the thing that, you know, hey, all the poor people are paying employment taxes that we just spend anyway it just it doesn't go to to seniors it goes right into our general budget and gets spent it's frustrating yeah because you're like it's you're you're really hurting people that are the working class and you do the class warfare and blame it on the rich so that they don't look at their own situation and go hey i'm in an unfair situation you're you're yeah you're taking a lot of my income that I can ill afford to lose and you're making it more expensive for me to live. Right. Things like, you know, the, the inflation rate, for example, 
what I get frustrated with is that in 1980, when we like, there a lot has been said about 1982 yep. being the last time inflation wasn't this high, but that's not true because they changed the way you calculate inflation. They used to use steak, right? Now, now they said, "Hey, but we can replace it with hamburger." Well, hamburger's not steak, right? You know, so you, it's it's not apples to oranges. If we actually looked at the inflation rate, it's over fifteen percent. Easy, because we know housing's gone up. You know, the cost of houses was nineteen point eight percent last year. Rents went up like in the teens, and you're telling me, and gas went up forty percent. You have all these. You have uh, utilities that went up in you know high teens, if not more. Right. And you're telling me that we went up seven point five percent. It's like, come on, that's so much BS. We know it. It's much higher, and it's hurting the least, like the the hardworking people, the people that are working for a wage. It's hurting those people way more. Totally than our politicians and our elites that are running around telling us what we need to do. You know, we, we need to take that away from them and say, you guys are fired. <laughs> you guys suck. We're going to give it to normal people and allow them to start making some of these decisions. And, and yeah, I, I don't know what a fair amount is. Elizabeth Warren is a, is a joke to mm-hmm. me. The fact that she went after Elon Musk, who, you know, gives away more than most people. Like he, give, he gave away in one year more than she'll make in her lifetime. And instead of applauding him, she demonizes him. And I'm like, you're just... Yeah, what was the exact word you're not she a good used? She, she called him... Uh, I think she called him a leech. She said derogatory things about the man that has done more for climate change. I mean, if you want to get technical. Uh-huh. He's done more to transition people to non-combustion, to, to, to electric vehicles, if that's what they want. I'm not going to get into the Sure, argument, right. But, but he, he's done a fantastic... I'm an investor in SpaceX, by the way, so I'm, I'm biased. Okay. Right. I, I, I think he's a genius. Totally. And you demonized him. Yeah. You demonized him for no other reason than because you have some seals clapping saying, yay, Elizabeth, you show those rich people. Meanwhile, she's pandering to all the rich people. She gets all her money from these. Right. It's like, come on. It's theater. You know, going back to the, the inflation basket, I, I talk about this a lot. The whole BLS from 2021, uh, one of the line items is shelter. And I think it was four point four point four percent. I think was the number. I can't remember. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was just over four percent. Yeah. So, again, I know as a real estate investor, you know that rents year over year, just on an aggregate level, are up at least at least fifteen percent. You know, some cities they're up thirty percent. You know, Boise, Idaho rents are like up. I think they're up over thirty percent. But if you go rent a place in a war zone in in Detroit. The, you can get it really cheap. Exactly. That's what they're doing. Yeah. They're playing the game. Oh, you need a, you know, just because it went up really high in your area, we could get you some housing cheaper. Mm-hmm. You don't need steak. You could have 20% fat ground beef. It's a lot cheaper. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's what they do. It's again, it's, it, they really, you know where this came from. And I, I, and it's embarrassing. Cause again, you look at what we did I think it was Newt Gingrich when he was uh, Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. They changed the calculation because if we actually raised the cost of living for Social Security right. and paid people commiserate with what it actually was costing. So your grandparents, guys, or maybe it's you, but these people are on fixed incomes. Social Security, a lot of them is, is covering a lot of their expenses. They did it so they didn't have to pay them as much. 
let's be straight. Right. They did it because you save a lot more money when you don't pay the old folks the money that they were promised under Social Security. Yeah. And you look at those numbers, if 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 they were, I mean, it makes sense. If if they would have made the CPI real and we would have been giving these COLA increases that were consummate with the with the real CPI, people would be I mean, we wouldn't be able to afford to manage as, you know, we, we might hold a, a Congress accountable. Well, that, we might say you shouldn't be spending this. But we again, we have seals. We have a bunch of people clapping, whatever one side says one thing and when the other side says the opposite, yep. and they all clap and they're not aware that they're in boiling water. So the seals are sitting there and now the water's boiling, guys. Like it or not, we're in a, a lot of turmoil, a lot of financial turmoil. We have runaway inflation. They're going to try to deal with it by raising in interest rates, which means they're going to tank the economy at some point. We're going to go through another recession and all the seals are still clapping, but they're in boiling water. Right. So don't be a seal. Don't be a seal. Exactly. Be a critical thinker and don't be dogmatic. Like, this is what my party says. This is what I'm going to repeat. Use your eyes. And that, again, that's why I'm a big believer. The only way you run a, learn to run a business is you run a business. You shouldn't be taking advice from people that, that don't. And a lot of the politicians have never run a business. Right. Frankly, they've never run local government. They just get in and they really, they're just fundraising, they're professional fundraising, and they get told what to do by whoever paid their bills and gave them the most money. Yeah. Last question then for you, as long as we're talking about kind of, we're getting higher, higher level, we've got crazy uh, inflation, runaway inflation, as you said, we've got, we're coming off a pandemic. We've got global supply chain issues that are insane. One of my businesses, I can't get stock. Um, we've got a war mm -hmm. going on in Eastern Europe, uh, or mm -hmm. the Balkans or whatever you want to call the area. And, um, uh, what's your, what's your feeling for, uh, the macro picture? How are you, I mean, I know that you've got a lot of real estate, but when you have clients that say, you know, what, what should I be doing over the next two mm -hmm. years? Um, uh, what do you, what do you tell people? Yeah. I say that the, 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 when, when, when everybody's fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. That's a, that's Warren Buffett, right? Yep. So we have a lot of fear. So what happens to the markets is they tend to drop in, in fear. That's when you go and you start buying. So I've been telling people for weeks when missiles are in the air, you know, you buy missiles, you go to where people are, are fearful mm -hmm. and that's where you, you invest and you don't invest hoping that it goes up. You invest for cash flow. So something that'll adjust for inflation, for example, is, um, I know you're probably an investor. I have hundreds of properties. I just, when, when, it, when everything gets more expensive, your rents go up. Right. So even during the recession, 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, during those years where the market in Vegas dropped 75%, our rents didn't go down 75%. They went up. Right. I just tell people, detach yourself from looking at your statement and wondering what your account's worth. Good advice. Only look at what it's producing. Only look at what it's producing. So I wrote a book, Infinity Investing. Um, and all it is, is it, the infinity is the big part, is you want an infinite cash flow. So we invest in things that pay you. So you don't buy stocks and hope they go up. You buy stocks that pay you dividends. Okay. You buy companies that can raise their rates and have a competitive advantage like Coca-Cola. People are still going to drink Coke all around the world. Doesn't matter. You're not stuck to the U.S. economy. If, if cost of materials goes up, they raise their price and people still buy it. 
It's not going to matter. Apple is a great example. No matter what they do to their phones, people buy it. The phone used to be what four hundred bucks. Now it's twelve hundred bucks. It's just like it's, it's crazy, yep. right? They can increase their price with inflation. You buy those companies. You buy good companies that are going to be around in twenty years. You buy real estate that is for actual human beings. A lot of people are speculating at the higher end, and they're buying these two million, three million dollar properties. Don't do that. Right. Buy single family. Buy manufactured housing. Buy shared housing. Buy things that people need a place to live. That's that's safe and habitable. Uh, because we, we have a real homeless problem in this country. We're about 3 million units underbuilt. So if you want to be successful, you find things that are needed and you invest in those and don't care about what the value of your properties are. Value Just care about what it's producing. And then you'll have an infinite income source. And once you have enough money coming in off of those types of assets, you know, really it's equities and real estate. Um, once you have income being produced off of those that covers your expenses, you never have to work again. And so you don't have to listen to the financial planners that lie through their teeth and say, you got to have 3 million bucks. No, you could probably retire off of some cases. It's about 400,000. If you know what you're doing, right? In many cases, if you get over a million, you probably have, you can, and if you have cash flow assets, you'll be good. You don't need to, to do all this craziness and then you never sell it. You never spend it down. You never reach into your, your, your principal, your corpus, your, your, your living off of the income it produces. And then nobody can tell you how to live, you know? So once you have enough rental income, for example, coming in, it doesn't, you're going to have X number of dollars coming in month in and month out, no matter what. I don't care if you go buy a Lamborghini with it and buy a huge house, you're not paying for it anyway. Your, your property's right. And then if you want to work, you go work. If you don't want to work, don't work. If you want to go travel the world, travel the world. You said that what during the pandemic, you like to go walking and do and you got to start off other projects. Mm-hmm. That That's me to a T. Is once you have that income coming in, you can do whatever you want. And then that's what you do. And you do whatever is your purpose. If you'll realize pretty quick that if you go on like a vacation, if you're a driven person after about two weeks, you're going nuts. Right. You got to get back into the thick of it. You want to be competitive. You want to do things. You want to change the world. That's what human beings are about. And it's not work anymore. You're living your passion. And that's what's actually fun. It sounds cliche. No. But but having that income source means you get to do what you want to do and what you care about. And if you want to go donate your time and you know work in the soup kitchen every, every, every night, you can. If you want to go help, uh, like I have very wealthy folks. Guess what they do? They help traffic women. They build houses for them transitional housing. They, they love doing this. They love meeting and they love making a change. Why? Because they lost a family member to drugs or alcohol. Like there's lots of things that push people in a direction. Once you have those income sources coming in, you can do whatever the heck you want. That's what I like. Yeah. I, you know, um, my dad, uh, he kind of harps on me because he says I'm obsessed with money. And I tell him when, when he says that, I say, I'm not obsessed with money at all. I'm obsessed with security. Because like you're saying, once you have that base layer of security, it gives you freedom. And once you have freedom, then money does buy happiness because freedom is freedom. And it lets you do those things. You know, if you want to help other people, you have the opportunity now. Money has just bought you happiness. Yeah. A minister told me that you can't fill somebody's glass full of water from an empty pitcher. Right. So if you have a full pitcher, you can do whatever you, you could. Hey, great. And then you're not asking for water from anybody else. True. Okay. Well, yeah. Toby, this was great. I could, I, if, if we were sitting here drinking beers, I would be here for another uh, three hours. Um, 
but uh, let's just, we'll pinch it off here. Thank you for being with me here. I appreciate it. Tell me how people can find out more about you and more about Anderson. Oh, you can go to andersonadvisors.com. That's a website. Infinityinvesting.com, free basic membership. You can go in there and learn how to invest. You can just Google me, Toby Mathis. Look at my YouTube channel, subscribe. Always throwing stuff out there. Um, we just like being part of the community of investors and people that are small business owners. I know how hard it is. I know how bad it sucks when you get started. So I, I, I can empathize and I just know that if you work hard, you'll get rewarded. And uh, we live in a great country. Yes, we do. Absolutely wonderful country. My wife comes from uh, Bogota. Oh, wow. And it's always fun to, to, to talk to her friends, the people that work their katushas off to get into a, a country like ours. Right. Don't don't listen to the people that are haters. There's Americans and there's Americans. And right now the Americans are yelling really, really loudly. There's a lot of Americans out there that that know that this is a great opportunity. This is still the greatest land to achieve your dreams. Don't buy into the negativity and uh, and take advantage of the of, of the opportunity. A lot of people have come from foreign lands at great risk just to have this opportunity and you're living here. So take advantage of it for sure. And Matt, I really appreciate you letting me come on. This, this was great. Thanks, Toby. My pleasure. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. 